We're in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to dive in, start beginning to dive into verses 1 through 10. We're actually going to cover most of verses 1 through 10. And then kind of whatever we leave off with tonight, we'll move into the next section as well. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Now this is the section we're going to begin to unpack tonight. Now if you remember last week we ended uh, with, how we were looking how Paul was struggling with God's energy in order to be used of God to help the believers there in Colossae become mature. As we go into chapter 2, though, we'll see that what some of the things were that were keeping them from maturity and what Paul was teaching them in order to help them grow spiritually. Now, remember from our introduction that Paul did not start this church in Colossae, but Epaphras did. This church was started around the time of Paul's ministry in, in Ephesus. Paul was not the one who originated this church. Look at verse 1. Look at what he says. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. This is actually a letter he's writing from prison in Rome back to a group of people that he actually hasn't met personally. But this church was started by a man named Epaphras. Um, and during the time of the early part of this church's history, a damaging heresy or a false teaching began to grow in the church. And this heresy was so severe that Epaphras made the trip from Colossae to Rome in order to seek help from Paul in dealing with it. Uh, jump over to chapter 4 of Colossians and look at verses 12 and 13. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now, again, do you see how Epaphras had the exact same attitude toward the people? He was struggling for them to become mature as well. That was his heart and his passion. But like I said, this, this false teaching that began to grow there in the church in Colossae became such a severe problem that Epaphras realized he needed help in dealing with it. So he made the trip all the way to Rome to go meet with Paul. And Paul now has penned this letter with his apostleship, if you will, with the authority that he had been given by God. And he was sending this letter now back to them so that they, he could help them in their maturity. So um, we're going to come back to verses 2 and 3 in just a little bit. But before we go to verses 2 and 3, we, it'll help us to know what Paul was having to deal with, what this false teaching was. Now I'm going to give you a little glimpse of it from chapter 2 here, verses 4 and 5. And verse 8. Look again at chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, and then we're going to jump to verse 8. Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, 
For though I'm absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now look also at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See, the false teachers that were in this church at this time were teaching that they had a higher knowledge that only the spiritual elite could know. They said that their knowledge came from sources other than Scripture, and their teaching also added legalistic regulations like circumcision, dietary laws, observance of festivals, worship of angels, along with their quote-unquote mystical experiences to attain this higher knowledge. Now, this is not Gnosticism yet. This is actually the earlier forms. Gnosticism will start to grow a few years after this time. But at this point, I just want to kind of get you up to speed with what's going on, because you're going to see tonight, if you're willing to keep listening to the Lord throughout this, that actually a lot of what they were trying to kind of corrupt the church with is still in our churches today. But there was a group of people who were saying that they had a closer relationship with God because they had a higher knowledge. It wasn't really learned from Scripture, but it was from experiences that they had that made them closer to God. And they were starting to set up divisions and schisms in the body, pretty much the haves and the have-nots. And if you have what we have, you're in our group. And if you don't have what we have, you're not in our group. And this, this teaching was pretty, pretty serious. That's why Paul said that he was struggling for them to be standing firm in Christ. Look again at verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Look at again at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to who? To Christ, all right? Now, knowing this, that this is what was being taught, let's now go back to verses 2 and 3 and verse 9 and see what Paul wanted for them so that they would become mature in Christ. In chapter 2 now, verses 2 and 3, listen to what he says. He says uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jump down to verse 9. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. All right, now we're going to break down the specifics of this, but let me just give you a big overview of what we're going to look at tonight. Paul was dealing with a group of people who were saying, we have a higher knowledge that we've learned and we've experienced because we've had these experiences. And they were saying you have to do certain things in order to get where we are. And Paul was saying, if you have Christ, you already have everything you need. Amen. So he was saying, first and foremost, I can prove to you that these false teachers were wrong because they were saying that you, they have something you don't have. But if you have Christ in you, you got everything. Don't let anybody deceive you into thinking that there's something more. You already got it. Now, haven't some of us been told you need a second baptism? And some of us have been told you need to have this experience. The Bible, and I'm going to show you from Scripture tonight, as Paul lays it all out, clearly says that if you are born again, if you are in Christ, all of the fullness 
of the deity dwelt bodily in Christ, and you have been what? Filled in him with everything. Everything you need, you're going to see that in the passage coming up. Everything you need for life and godliness, you already have if you're in Christ. So watch out for anybody that says, but wait, there's more in the sense of you don't have it, but I can give it to you. Do you see what I'm saying? Any teaching like that is a false teaching. All right. So let's break down in verses two and three the things that Paul wanted so that they would become mature. All right. Let's look at the first one here in verse number two, that their hearts would be encouraged. God's desire is that we be encouraged by faith in him and not in ourselves. All right. Go with me real quick to John chapter 14. Look at verse one. In John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, then, as you know, he goes on into how my, in my father's house are many mansions or many rooms. <clears throat> but look at what he says here in verse 1. He says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You, and, and a better translation of believe in God is you already believe in God. Believe also now in me. You've got to keep in mind, at this time... What was their, the, the Jewish people or his disciples' understanding of God? Had they ever seen God? They said nobody's seen God. Right. No, they hadn't seen God, but they knew he existed and they believed in him. Jesus is about to tell them, I'm about to go away. But when I go away, it's good because I'm going to come back and live within you. And you won't see me. But you, and what he's saying is, is, in the same way you believe in God, you're going to also need to believe in me. So here's what he's saying. Don't let your hearts be troubled. By the way, the false teachers were saying the exact opposite. You might not have it. There are actually evangelists that make a lot of money traveling around the country trying to scare people into whether or not they're really saved. There are guys who make a name for themselves who will go into places and cause even some of the strongest Christians to question whether or not they're really saved. You know, the Bible, we already looked at this, said that his spirit testifies with our spirit that we're his children. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that I write these things that, who believe in the name of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Anybody that's trying to do ministry by causing you to be discouraged or fearful doesn't line up with how the Bible teaches who Jesus is and who God is. He says, I want your hearts to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged in your inner man. Oh, let me take you to another place. Go to John chapter 16. Look at verse 27. Again, Jesus says in John 16, verse 27. <clears throat> Sorry. It's not chapter 16. It's chapter 14. I wrote 16 in my notes. I'm going, well, that's not right. Chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Then what does he say? Don't let your hearts be troubled. So Jesus twice in this one chapter is saying to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Paul says my prayer for a Christian to become mature was that they would actually become less troubled in their hearts, not more troubled. Beware of any type of ministry that causes fear and worry and doubt to get you to go and follow their teaching. God's desire is that we become encouraged in our hearts. Because the more we learn of him, 
less fear we have because we know he's bigger than anything. Well, exactly. And that, you know, go to Romans chapter 5. Actually, the Bible wants us to understand who we are already in Christ. And the more we know of this truth, the more encouraged we will be. Romans chapter 5 can't make it any more clear. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, we also rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you see it's past tense? God's love has already been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's giving us. God's message to us is, if you're in me, I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to fear. Perfect love casts out fear because that kind of fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect or complete in this love that I have for you. Oh, yes, I want you to have a fear of God. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because there's a world out there that has no fear of God. It's actually a good thing. Jesus himself said, don't be afraid of man who can, after killing the body, do no more. But be afraid of the one who has the power to throw both soul and body into hell. And by the way, who is that? It's God. People, all, I've asked that question in churches. They say Satan. I say, no, no, no. Satan doesn't have the power to throw you into hell. Satan's getting thrown into hell himself. The one who has the power that Jesus was saying you need to fear is God. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the, listen, holy one brings understanding. God wants us to fear. And there's different reactions to fear that God doesn't want us to have. There's the fight or flight, you know. Sometimes I can show you in the Bible where the Bible says they were afraid and they hid. In Genesis. We also see another time where the nations were afraid and they fought against Israel and against God. There's also the servant in Matthew 25 that was afraid and he did nothing, kind of like the deer in the headlights. By the way, that's not a good reaction to fear. God says, I want you to fear. If you don't know me, I want you to fear. I want you to understand my holiness and your sinfulness. I want you to have a fear of me, but I want you to react in such a way that you actually run to me and you fall on your face before me and say, I need your grace. I need your mercy. And once you have done that, he says to us, you are my child. Don't be afraid of me that way anymore. Perfect love casts out fear. Beware of those in Christian ministry who use fear to get you to follow their teaching. Fear that you might be lacking some things that they have that you haven't experienced. But if you follow my teaching or you let me lay hands on you or you let me do these things, then you can have what. Beware of that because Paul's trying to blow it up by saying if you're in Christ, everything you need, you already have. It's all there. It's all there. There's a second thing here as well, that they would be knit together in love. Not only so that they would be encouraged in their hearts, but also that they would be knit together in love. God's desire is that his children live in unity and harmony rather than discord and factions. You know, the Bible actually says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, that there's going to be times we don't agree. 
I don't know if you all know that or not, but the Bible actually says in Romans chapter 14, a whole chapter of it, that there are going to be some people see one day as more sacred than another. Another one's going to see every day alike. Another's going to think eating vegetables is the only way to go. Another one's going to think eating meat's okay. Each one needs to be fully convinced in their mind. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, listen to what the scripture says. It says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must gently instruct in the hopes that God will bring them to an understanding. If anybody thinks that they're going to try to win you over by winning the argument, they're trying to accomplish the work of God in the flesh and not in the spirit. I have to be honest with you. When I was young in the ministry, I used to fall prey to this all the time because God's wired me with a memory for scripture. And I think I can win an argument with all these verses I have in my head. And I used to sit for hours afterwards and debate with people and argue. And I thought I won. Till God said, was that you convincing them or was it me? Share the scripture and whether they agree with you or not, that's not the issue. Lovingly share the truth and leave it at that. Those who don't follow this teaching, watch out for them because he says, I want you guys to be knit together in love. Um, let me take you to a couple passages. Go to John chapter 13. I know it's John 13. Even though I wrote John 13 in my notes here. John 13, look at verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Folks, let me just do something real quick. And I'm going to just say it quickly. I'm going to say it lovingly. I'm going to say it firmly. There are going to be people in your churches that you don't see eye to eye with. You with me so far? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially when it comes to worship styles. Stop fighting them. Stop trying to win against them. And love your brother and sister who doesn't see it the way you see it when it comes to worship styles. You know, the Bible does says there are psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And one of the saddest things in our country today, as I travel around, is I see churches with their big signs out front that say, the people that don't get along with these people are meeting at 8. The people that don't get along with these people are meeting at 11. I'm leaving it at that. By this, the world will know that we're his children and his disciples by our love for each other. Not that we got our way. The Bible actually says that worship's supposed to happen all throughout the week. And L, you do, right? If you think that your worship has been hindered on Sunday because you didn't like the music, you don't know what worship is. Because if it only happens on Sunday, I'm going to say it as nice to you as I can. You are constipated when it comes to your worship. <laughs> a few people in here of the older age, you understand when you only do it once a week. That's a problem. <laughs> Let's go back to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 10 and 11. 
There was 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Paul was dealing here with a problem in the church in Corinth because they were breaking up into divisions over who was the best preacher. Well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, well, I follow Christ. Listen to what he says in verses 10 and 11. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And then he goes on and deals with that. Look what he says, my prayer, my, my, my plea, I'm begging you, be in agreement with each other. By the way, that doesn't mean you all see it the same way. Let's go back to this worship thing real quick. When I was pastor of churches, we would have this same wrestling match everywhere you go. I had a lady come up to me one time afterwards and say, I didn't like the music today. I said, good. She goes, why? I go, because we didn't plan it for you. We planned it for the Lord. But also, I would have people saying, let's have a service for this group of people at this time and the service for this group of people. And my attitude was this. We desire to stay together as a family, even if we need to have more than one service because we don't have enough room in our place. All the services are going to be the same. Here's why. Because I don't want to, first of all, divide a family on a Sunday morning. Who's going to wrestle? Who's going to go to which service because of which music they like? And also, I use this illustration. If you take your family to Disney World, if you take your family to Disney World, the moment you step inside the park, you have to make a decision. Are we going to do this as a family or is everybody going to go do their own thing? If we desire to do this as a family, I as a dad would tell us, I know some of you think small world is too slow and boring. Shut your mouth and ride it. And be happy for your brother or your sister who's connecting in the way they like to connect. Some of you think Space Mountain is too wild and too crazy. There's a thing called the walkthrough where you can stay in line with us right until the time you have to get on. And you can just go out that little door and meet us right after we get off. You don't. Now you tell me. <laughs> yeah, it's there. <laughs> it's right before you get on. But as dad, I would say we're going to stay together as a family. The purpose is us doing this together. Be happy for your brother and sister. So, folks, the Bible here, he says that they would be knit together in love. Paul says, I pray that you would be in agreement with each other. Go to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from His love, any participation in the Spirit, that's the capital S, Holy Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. By the way, do you see how opposite this was to the teaching that was there in the church in Colossae? Because their teaching was... There are the haves and the have-nots. We have something that you don't have. We've had experiences and knowledge that we've received, and you need to be like us. And this was causing divisions in the body because of false truth. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now, I bring you to this on purpose. Listen closely to what this says. Paul says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, yeah, we know that. Impurity, yeah. Sensuality, amen. Idolatry, yeah. Sorcery, yes. Enmity, 
strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes into the fruit of the Spirit. But look at what he says. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Folks, and I don't know if you caught this, in between sexual immorality and idolatry and orgies, he puts division, factions, strife. You know what's sad? Hopefully, I mean, a lot of churches don't even deal with that, but hopefully when we see someone in sexual immorality or adultery or whatever, we'll deal with that as a church. But all these people that spend their time on the phone lines, making their calls, trying to cause division, trying to get enough people to vote in the business meeting to their side of the aisle. Folks, why don't we deal with that too? The Bible says that's in the same list. It's just as much as the pastors would go, and who are not just the pastors, but those in leadership would go to the people, or the brothers who would go to the people and say, my brother, my sister, this sexual immorality needs to stop, or this adulterous relationship needs to end. We all don't need to sit back and expect just the pastors. We too should come alongside and say to our brothers and sisters who are causing division, look, this is wrong. This is wrong. The false teachers were actually in their teaching causing this division in the church. And Paul said, first of all, you don't understand. <laughs> I want you to be encouraged. That's God's heart. And I want you to be knit together in love. Y'all don't even realize these, two, these teachers are going, breaking those first two obvious ones. Then he gets to the third part here. Go back to Colossians chapter 2. He says in verse 2 that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, let's be honest. Paul, it was pretty easy to understand what he's saying when he says, I want you to be, have your hearts encouraged and to be knit together in love. And then this next, and he writes like I do, run on sentence. It's confusing, isn't it? We're not sure where it stops or starts or... I paraphrased it for you. His third thing that he wanted for them to them to become mature is that they would understand the fullness of the gospel of Christ. This is what he's saying here. I want you to understand the fullness of the gospel. In other words, I want you to understand all that you already have being in Christ. How he put it was he wanted them to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which is who Jesus really is. And in knowing who Jesus really is, they will find that all the wisdom and knowledge we need are in him. He says, look, these guys are teaching you that uh, through fear and say that you're lacking certain things. I want your heart to be encouraged, first of all, if you're in Christ. Second of all, they're causing division. I want you to be knit together in love. And thirdly, the reason why you are able to be prey to this bad teaching is you don't really understand already what you had when you got saved. Isn't that what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4? That he gives some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors, and some to be evangelists and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that we will what? No longer be infants tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. And most of the stuff that is false teaching today that causes us to fall prey to it Makes sense. Paul uses the term here, plausible arguments. They use the old, 
if A equals A and A equals B, and then B must equal C. And they fool most people because most people today, one, don't know the truth of the Word of God. And two, most people really don't understand what already happened when we got saved. i got to be honest with you. I'm still in the process of learning this knowledge myself. But I'm going to give you a good starting point. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Get this one in your head and in your heart first. We were talking about this around the dinner table tonight, and I loved the fact that as we were just discussing it a little bit, Becky's first reaction was, doesn't 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 talk about this? And I was like, yes! My, my wife understands. My work is done here. And unfortunately, she'll never say that her work is done. 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verses 3 and 4. Paul says, His, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and, and excellence. Listen to verse 4. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Now, he goes on and says, I want you to add to your faith these things. But all he's saying is, is that's already there within you. You need to now learn to let it come out. That's what he was talking about when he says that. But listen, he says, you have already, if you are in Christ, everything you need for life and godliness, every kind of knowledge that you need, you already have. You already have. Don't let anybody tell you you need a second experience. You don't need a second experience. You don't need a second baptism. That doesn't line up with the truth of Scripture. You already have everything you need. Now we need to learn how to let Him live from within us out. In other words, Paul says, let me word it, read it to you again. I pray that you would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in Him whom, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So anybody says, I have a special knowledge that you don't have, <laughs> they're really saying you don't have Christ. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10 here. We're back in Colossians. Look at verses 8, 8 through 10, 8, 9, and 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to who? Christ. To Christ. For in Him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity of God dwells bodily. Listen. And you may one day be? You have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Then why does the Bible say then that we are to be filled with the Spirit? If we've already been filled, why are we told to be filled with the Spirit? Because the flesh still wants what the flesh wants. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter uh, 5. He said, so if you live by the Spirit, if you've been made alive by the Spirit of God... Walk in the Spirit. We have to learn to let this truth of what already indwells us take root. Now, let me show you a couple other places real quick. 
for those who think that there's a special knowledge. Go ahead, Chris. No. To reach all the riches of full assurance of. In right. other words, because you have Christ in you, you can have full assurance that Christ is going to work in you because he has all knowledge of understanding. That's right. And so the, our assurance is in him. Our assurance is knowing I already got everything I need. Now it's the process of unpacking it. Letting him yeah, oh, and, and letting him unpack it. And that's actually a very good point, because as you're going to find out as we go into this a little bit more deeply, not only tonight, but the next few weeks, what you just brought out is a really good point. Because otherwise we might think, well, gosh, right, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand. Maybe I don't have Christ. Right. And, right. And that's a real I'm glad you brought for those that didn't hear what he's saying, especially for those that are listening who couldn't hear what he was saying. Uh, he was saying that we need to also understand that this is a process of letting God or Christ unpack it for us in his time, in his way, so that you don't fall prey to thinking, well, I don't understand it all. Maybe I don't have Christ. No, no, no. This doesn't mean you'll understand it all today. This just says, don't fall prey to the false teaching that says you don't have it. You have it. But didn't you as parents have a responsibility to raise up your children so that they would one day become mature adults to live on their own? You hope, right? Did you tell them everything on day one? Did you talk to your four-year-old daughters about childbirth? No, they're not ready. In time, we'll get you there. And that's what the, I'm glad you brought this out. This is what Paul's saying in all this process. You already have it all. Now let Jesus, who lives within you, take you through the process and the journey of un, helping you understand what you need as you go. And your full assurance is that he will do that. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began this good work in you will also bring it to completion. Yes, ma'am. If you don't have it, you might not be saved. We, all, we don't get to determine our gifts. The Spirit gives those out. And so we shouldn't all look alike. And we should be humble enough to accept what God gives us as our spiritual gift. Yep. And we talked about that about two or three weeks ago in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 and following. Let not anyone think of himself more highly than they ought, but each with sober judgment, each in accordance with the measure of faith that they've been given. If your gift is this, do it. If your gift is that, do that. Don't. The whole process of people saying, well, you need this and you need that. Everything I need I already have, and Christ will get me there when it's time. Relax, folks. And if he chooses not to give you a certain gift, then we should be okay with that. Yep. Oh, but what if I need wisdom? Go to James chapter 1. I heard someone say it down here. James chapter 1. Look at verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And listen, it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Look at what he says. He says, look, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Who gives it to everyone, and you will get God's wisdom. Oh, don't doubt. I shared this with some of you uh, about, I don't know, six months ago. A man came, and he was seeking God's wisdom on something. And I said, do you believe that God will give it to you? And, and, and he goes, I do. I go, then you're fine. He goes, no, I, I asked God for wisdom and he didn't give it. 
I said this because you don't believe that he will. Oh, no, I believe that he will. He just didn't. I said, it means you don't believe that he will. He goes, no, I, I asked. He just didn't do it, Jim. I said, because you don't believe that he will. And then he went, oh, if I really believe that he will, even if he doesn't do it today, I'll be cool with it because I believe he will. I was like, yes. The, oh, well, he didn't won't be an issue because I believe he will. And if he chooses not to tell me now, his reason no is, well, man, don't get me going. But man, one of my favorite passages of scripture is Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, where it says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. In other words, the Bible actually says there's times that God will actually hide things from us. I want a God who hides, and I'll get right to you, Jeff. I want a God who hides stuff from me. You know why? That means he knows stuff I don't know. Go ahead. Aren't you quoting Colossians 2, verse 3, in whom are hidden? Yes. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He wants us to seek him, not seek the wisdom and knowledge, because that way, once I have the knowledge, I don't need it. Exactly. That's wonderful. I love how you brought it. If those who can't hear on the recording, Jeff brought out that it says there in chapter, chapter 2, in him who are hidden all this wisdom and knowledge. Why is it hidden? Because God wants you to go through the process of seeking him for this wisdom. And he'll reveal it in his time, in his way. God told the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 13, he said, when I brought you out of Egypt, I didn't take you the short route. I took you the long way because I knew stuff you didn't know. I knew that in order to go through, to get to the short route, you had to go through Philistine country and you would have faced war. Even though you were dressed for battle, you weren't ready. And you would have tried to go back to Egypt. Does God know his kids or what? Because even though he took them out into the wilderness where they couldn't have found their way back, what did they say? Let's go back to Egypt. But God said, I said no. I hid some things from you. But because I was protecting you. How many of you have had your kids ask, can I drive? And you said, no, you didn't mean no, not ever. You said, no, not now. Why? You knew stuff they didn't know. They thought they were ready. You knew they weren't. Is that the same with by the stripes of Jesus, you're healed? Can you apply the same thing that he says you are healed Amen. by his stripes? By his stripes, we have been healed spiritually and he may choose to heal us physically. But we can't take that teaching and say that if I believe it enough, I will be healed physically because if we take that. First of all, the Bible doesn't teach that. Paul prayed three times that whatever this thorn in his flesh would be removed. And God says, my grace is sufficient. I'm going to actually reveal myself through your weakness in your flesh. Second of all, we also know that the, if everybody believed enough that God would heal them physically, nobody dies. What the Bible says we're going to. So definitely there's physical healing. Definitely God's still healing today. Definitely it is tied to our faith. Yeah, you go back to that passage, and we're chasing a rabbit here, but I think it's worth chasing. In James chapter 1, when it talks about, is any one of you sick? Let him go to the elders of the church. And if you look in the context here, you're going to see that their physical healing is tied to spiritual issues as well. And if they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. In other words, sometimes, folks, listen to me, not all sickness is because of this, but sometimes there's physical sickness because of spiritual disobedience. How did Paul say it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Because some were taking the Lord's Supper incorrectly, some were sick, and others had died. Sometimes God, have you been to all the doctors? That's when it been, after having been anointed with oil. Having been to the doctors, because that was their medicine back then. And you, the doctor's saying, I don't know what it is. It wouldn't hurt for you to spend a little time seeking God and saying, Lord, is this a physical thing that you're using to get my attention about a spiritual issue? 
So, yes, our faith is tied into our healing sometimes, but we can't take it to the extreme of, I have enough faith and this sickness will go because that means I'll never die. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And sometimes God, for his reasons, says no. And any doctrine that says God can't say no makes us God and not God God. So there's some truth to it. Some people have taken it to an extreme. We're dealing with impatience in the flesh every day. We're so bombarded with it. Instant gratification. I mean, all the kids today, oh, I want a house just like my dad, but I want it today. They have, they, they're not willing to wait. The, do they don't like the process like the of the search. Process. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. As Jeff said, God has hidden it for a reason. This wisdom, this knowledge that's in Christ. As Chris brought out, I'm glad you all did, because that's an aspect I wasn't planning on bringing out tonight. And I'm glad you did. This knowledge and everything that you have that's within you because you have Christ is not going to be like pray a prayer, have a special service and you got it. It's going to be a journey. It's going to be a process. Just don't fall prey to any false teaching that says you need this special encounter. You understand what I'm saying? He's there and he's in you and you got it. He's now going to reveal it to you when it's time. And oh, by the way, that means when you get into a discussion or a disagreement with a brother or sister about a certain issue, you can look at them and say, look, even if you're right and I'm wrong, I want the Lord to be the one who shows me this truth and he'll show it to me when it's time. Do you understand? One of the problems I wrestle with, because one of the gifts that God's given me is discernment. And so when I walk into places as I travel around, a lot of times I can see right off what the issues are in this church. I used to think that everything I saw I was supposed to speak to. And I did some damage because God had to teach me how to refine my gift and fan into flame the gift that he's given me. And he said, Jim, some things I show you just so that you'll know, but not so that you'll speak. There are some things I show you just so that you'll pray, not so that you'll speak. There'll be times I tell you to speak. There'll be times I just show you because I showed you. And again, all of us understand we're in this process. You've already got it. Now let him take you through the journey of bringing this truth to you. How are you going to know you're on the right path? Are you being encouraged? And are you encouraging others in the process? Are you being knit together in love? Or are there being factions? Are you living the fruits? Are you living the fruits? If we have time, we'll get there because I've got them in my notes, but Jim, they're a few pages down. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Just That they have it in them. Yes, that's a great point. It's a great point, Teresa. As much as we know that we have it in us and God will show us, we have to believe that God will get them there too. And it's not our job. Although we want to get them. I, I, many of the time I said, I wish I could shake people. That's how the scripture gets in people, by the way. You just shake. I haven't found a verse for it yet, but I will. I'm not going to take you because of time to John chapter 14 and John 16 where Jesus says, in that day, you'll realize that I'm in you and you're in me and I'm in the Father. And I have more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the spirit of truth come, he's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to take from what is mine and make it known to you. God's already said, I'm going to live within you and I'm going to teach you everything you need to know. I'm going to, listen, guide you into all truth. Now, I'm going to do something, though, real quick, because I want to encourage some of you to make one of these. All right. Take a little three by five card. And put on it, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, okay? Then I want you to get a little bit bigger than this 3 by 5 card envelope. And I want you to put your name on it. 
And I want you to take Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and put it inside of your envelope with your name on it. All right? Now, Jesus is inside of Jim. Oh, it gets better. Take a little bigger envelope and put Jesus on it. And then put you and the Holy Spirit inside of Jesus. And take a bigger envelope and take God the Father and put all that inside of him. You see it? Jesus, on that day you'll realize that I'm in you and you're in me and I'm in the Father. Folks, if you let this truth really, really sink in, Nobody's going to mess you up with any kind of false teaching because you're going to know I'm okay. I'm in Christ. Not only is he the one who began the good work and who will finish it, we are to look, as Hebrews chapter 12 says, unto Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. Folks, if you're in Christ, everything you need is there. Enjoy the search. By the way, didn't you used to love to play hide and seek? Didn't you, when you were younger, love it? Didn't your kids love it? Go back to it, because God said, I've designed this as a journey. I've hidden some things, but that doesn't mean you'll never find them, because if you ask, I will show you in the right time, in the right way. I will say no at times, but I'm not always saying no, not ever. I'm going to take you through a process of, well, how does Paul say it again? Colossians chapter 2. Maybe it'll make more sense to us now. I hope it will. That they would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you see it? Sounds like a treasure hunt to me, doesn't it? Enjoy the treasure hunt, folks. Go for it. Yes, sir. Exactly. Exactly. This is, a, this is something he wants from us. See, don't just pray a prayer and say, OK, God, see if you come through. No, he says, I want you to seek me. Seek me. Go real quick to First Timothy chapter three, because in Colossians two, and, uh, Paul makes this statement. He, he says the, the God's mystery, which is Christ. Go to First Timothy chapter three. Look at verses 14 through 16. I'm going to give you a quiz here. In First Timothy chapter three, verses 14 through 16. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to, to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church. Of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, Proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Here's your question. Here's your quiz. What is the mystery of godliness? It's Jesus. Look closely. The mystery of godliness is a he. Great is this mystery of godliness. He. Folks, if you are in Christ, you have godliness within you. Now it's the process of letting him live it out. We've got to stop saying, I'll do better. We've got to stop saying, I'll try harder. Why are you trying to earn grace? Believe it. Well, that's why Paul says back here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, <laughs> as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, 
Walk in him. How'd you receive him as Lord? I believed that I couldn't save myself and only he could save me. I believed that I needed it because of my sin and I asked him to do it. And I believed that he would. And I believe that he has. All right, in the same way, go on this treasure hunt. Don't fall prey to false teaching that says you need this other stuff. And we'll tell you how to get it with a special service or we'll lay hands on you. You already have everything you need. It's all within you because you're in Christ. But now some of it is hidden. That's okay. Paul says my prayer is that the eyes of your heart would be opened. That you begin to understand that you go through this process. You want to be mature? We hear mature and we think finished. Let me give you a biblical definition of maturity. According to Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Because he says those who are mature will think this way. What did he just said? Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I want to take hold of all that Christ Jesus has taken hold of me for. That's maturity, folks. Maturity is you're still in the treasure hunt. You're believing you already have everything you need and that he will supply it and he'll give it to you. And you're in the process of hungering for more of Christ who already is within you. That's maturity. It doesn't matter if you're a new believer or an old believer. If you are Assured in who you are in Christ, know that you're eternally secure and believing that God will give you everything and do what he wants. You will rest and you will be mature even if you've been a Christian for a year or 25 or 50. Because maturity is hungering for more of Jesus. You can't act in faith, though, unless you know what you're putting your faith in. We must know what God has promised for us because we're in Christ. And that's why back in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verses 3 and 4, he said, we have all these great promises. By the way, does anybody know what all the promises are? Who here knows what all the promises are? Do you know what? Do you know what? You, my hand's not up either, is it? There's a lot of promises that are, he's given us here in his word. Why don't we begin to find out what they are? All right. Now. Encourage each other to grow in Christ and to trust Jesus more. Trust him for every need and act like he will come through. Beware of anyone who tells you they have a special way to grow closer to God or tries to divide the body of Christ into the haves and the have-nots. And as you're going to see next week, I can't wait. If you can get here next week, please come next week because you're going to hear me say some things that may totally surprise you. As you'll see next week, watch out for anyone who will try to teach you that you need to follow strict dietary rules or certain religious rituals in order to grow closer to Christ. But we're as close as we can get right now because of Christ in us. Now we just need to simply know what has been given us in Christ and begin to receive and experience His power within us as we act on His promises by faith. Now let's close tonight by going to a passage that I'd never looked at in this way. Go to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. This is in the story of the prodigal son. I've always wrestled with that term because there's, this, there's so much more in the story than just the prodigal son. There's the older brother. There's the loving father. I, I wish we had named this thing the loving father story. But look at verse 25. Luke 15, verse 25. I pray that the Spirit of God would help you to see this. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Listen to what the father says. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Listen to what the father said to the older son. The older son said, I have been slaving for you my whole life. I've done everything you asked me to do. I have busted my fanny for you. And you never gave me anything. Father said, um, that's because you thought you had to earn it. It's always been yours. I'm always with you and everything I have is yours. You just got to receive it by faith. Believe it. Now, folks, there's a depth to this that I got to be honest with you. I'm not sure many of us have even touched. But I know this much. I want to begin to continue that process. What does it mean? Like you just said, the answer is yes to everything in Christ. The father says to you, if you're in him today, my child, stop trying to be good enough so that I'll bless you. Everything I have is yours. I'm always with you. I'm in you and you're in me and I'm in the Father. You're swimming in us. You're good. Everything I have is yours. Oh, if I choose to say no for a reason, it's a good reason. Because everything I do is perfect and everything I do is best. Therefore, even my no's are best for you. And if we as Christians could really get to that point where we really rest in the full assurance that he's for us, and if he's for us, who can be against us? We are, as we looked at earlier tonight, at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And we can't wait until that day when we see him face to face and we get our new bodies. And buddy, it's getting close and I can't wait. But not only that, we can rejoice in our sufferings. Oh, by the way, you only can rejoice in your sufferings if you really believed the other stuff that you're already at peace with God. Because how many of us, when the suffering comes, our first thought is, where is God? Why has God? Why hasn't? You see what I'm saying? We immediately think something's wrong between us and God. You haven't really moved to maturity yet if you think that your suffering is because there's something wrong between you and God. No, your father loves you and everything he does for you is best. Even the struggles he's allowing you to go through because he's going to produce per perseverance and character and hope. And you're going to become stronger through this. So, folks, it's time. It's time for us to believe it and to begin to let him little by little get us there. And some of you might get there faster than others. It's OK. Believe that the same God who got you there will get them there. Let me wrap up with this. 
I was dealing with this one pastor in a different part of the country. And he was lamenting all the people that sit on the back row of the church and do nothing. And he was just grumbling about those back row people. And I said, let me ask you a question. Tell me your story. How'd you come to know Christ? Because I really don't know you. I'm going to get to know you. He tells me a story. And I'm not kidding you. There was a period in his life story that he was one of those back row people. I said, whoa, 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 hang on for a second. Were you one of those people? I guess I was. And you're now a preacher. How'd you get from the back row to the pulpit? Well, God, oh, stop. That same God that can get you from the back row to the pulpit can get them there too. Stop trying to accomplish what God does in your flesh. Believe that he will. Share the truth. Love each other. And watch God do what he wants to do in our midst. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the fact that your word will bring encouragement to us. Yes, your word teaches that we're to add to our faith goodness and virtue and knowledge and all these things. But in the context of that passage, Peter says, if we don't see these things and grow, we've forgotten that we've already been cleansed from our former sins. That there's going to be a growth in our process. But Lord, may we not fall prey to those who say the growth happens with a special service or a certain person laying hands on them or a certain experience. Father, may the truth of the fact that we already have everything we need because Christ in us, may that truth take root in our hearts and this full assurance of faith. And may we believe, even if you choose to do it on a slower rate than we want, may we believe that you will get us there, that you'll finish us. You'll start at it, you're going to finish it. You're the author, you're the perfecter. And Lord, may we, as has been said tonight as well, believe that for the people around us as well. Forgive us for jumping on each other because we don't vote a certain way or because we don't sing a certain type of song or use a certain kind of translation that we use. Father, forgive us for attacking each other for the cause of Christ. When we do, though, we actually show that we really don't think you're powerful enough to do it. And so you need our help. Father, forgive us. Remind us of this truth. The greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And greater is he who is in my brother and my sister than he is in the world. And Father, thank you for your patience with us. Give us your patience, patience for our brothers and our sisters. Oh, may we not only look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. May we can be able to consider ourselves in full humility and, and consider others better than ourselves because we're so resting in the fact that you got us. That you'll do what you want to do and we're going to get everything you have for us. That everything you have is, that's yours is ours and it's going to be. May we rest in that so much that we don't even have to fight for position. And Lord, may that truth so radiate through us and out of us that people begin to ask us for their hope or the reason for the hope that lies within us. Lord, I thank you that you're going to do it. As you said, you would. In your name we pray. Amen.